following podcast contains strong language and explicit content. And if that offends you, then I suggest you switch this off. This is a Podcast Now production. Where is that coming from? Is that because you're in a dysfunctional relationship with somebody that makes you feel like you have low self-worth and you need to get this next surgery or you need to look like this certain way? You need to be perfect. Maybe that will inspire them to love you or stick with you. Or at least if the whole rest of the world fancies you, you'll feel secure enough and you won't need this one person to love you. Like all of these things to me, like smack of codependency. Welcome to Love Bites, a podcast about all the things you were told you couldn't talk about. On today's episode, we have the glorious Joe Westwood, codependency coach, host of the anti-people pleasing podcast and all round incredible human. Joe and I met when we were both guests on another podcast last year and I was in utter awe of her eloquence when speaking of codependency. Every time she speaks, I feel she looks inside my soul and brain and she's helped me understand so much of my own issues with codependency. So a huge warm welcome to my lovely friend, Joe Westwood. Hello, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited. I've been wanting to interview you for like like more than a year now. So this is excellent. Well, awesome. I can't wait to get into it all with you. Yeah. Welcome, sweetheart. Um, so, I mean, just to start off, what would be great is for you to give us a little bit of lowdown on what codependency actually means and what it is. Okay. So my quick way of explaining it is that it is an addiction it's an addiction to external validation and dysfunctional relationships and people are like okay yeah and then the next question is tell me more so (laughs) (laughs) i think the best way to like explain codependency is to describe some of the common traits and patterns of codependent people because that tends to be how people recognize codependency in themselves um it's certainly something that there's more awareness around now um certainly in the last couple of years it's becoming like a term that we're understanding more and more but it's still quite misunderstood and kind of misused i think i think the biggest misunderstanding about codependency is that it gets oversimplified it's actually quite complex and quite nuanced um and a lot more people are codependent than they realize because as soon as I start listing off traits and patterns people are like oh shit that's me (laughs) um especially women um so like you know talking in like gender binaries here but women and people socialized female do tend to be codependent they they lean more towards codependency because a lot of the traits of codependency which I am going to tell you you're all sitting on the edge of your seat like tell me the fucking traits um (laughs) Like, I really want to know, even though I know them. A lot of the traits and patterns um, are very normalized for women and people socialized female. They're like normalized by society. Um, So let's get into it. So um, repeated patterns of getting into dysfunctional relationships. And that can be relationships that are anywhere on the scale from abusive um you know emotionally physically sexually abusive but also well quite commonly codependent people end up in relationships with narcissistic people so people with low empathy who um are emotionally manipulative um but it could also be just settling for people that are not a match for you and making excuses and making it okay to be in like just kind of crappy unfulfilling relationships and so another kind of misunderstanding about codependency is it's not just about romantic relationships if you're codependent you're codependent everywhere um so it's not just your romantic relationships but you'll have codependent relationships at work with friends with family there just tends to be one area where it shows up for people more um in a bigger way quite often that is romantic relationships So people think, oh, yeah, I'm just codependent then. I'm like, no, you're codependent everywhere. You're just so codependent in your romantic life that you haven't noticed it in other places. Um, So that's the kind of relationship side of things. So repeat patterns of dysfunctional relationships, unfulfilling relationships, just putting up with, yeah, very unfulfilling or even draining relationships. Giving to the point of exhaustion and resentment and chronic people pleasing. So just overgiving, overgiving, overgiving. 
Um, that comes from a fundamental lack of self-worth. We codependent people, I should say, I'm a recovering codependent. So everything I say comes from a place of um, experience and not judgment. And this is why I know it inside out. And this is why I'm in your brain if you are codependent. <laughs> like I literally know your thought patterns because I have had them and I have tried to fix them for myself. Um, but yeah, so it, that chronic overgiving and people pleasing comes from a fundamental lack of self-worth codependent people we value ourselves for what we can do and not who we are not who we fundamentally are we think that if we aren't firing on all cylinders doing everything for everybody performing um being perfectionists like pulling everything off perfectly that people aren't going to love us or like us or want us um we have this weird inferiority superiority complex where we again have this fundamental lack of self-worth so we don't think we're good enough or deserving of love but at the same time we kind of think we can do everything better than everybody else which leads us to infantilize partners so that's kind of like you might recognize that most commonly in like almost like taking over a partner's life doing everything for them treating them like a child booking all their appointments making all their meals for them organizing their life blah 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 but you could also do that if you're a manager at work some people are like managers and they're meant to be like um outsourcing and delegating work and then micromanaging and doing everything for their staff because they think that they can do it better and it's from this like point of perfectionism and like control Another surprising thing about codependent people, um, we're very controlling and manipulative. We manipulate with kindness. So rather than being able to ask directly for what we want and need, we use that overgiving, that people pleasing to try and inspire people to give us what we want instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to need some more of this or, hey, can you do this for me? Or it would be great if you would do this. And then taking the risk of somebody potentially saying no, we're so afraid of that that we just give and give and give and try and, and we hope that that will make people give us what we want and what we need. Most of the time it does not work. And then we get <laughs> I was about to be like, so who are they? Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I think the final thing that I want to share about codependent people and codependency that I think is quite misunderstood is that confidence is not self-worth. Mm. They're two very different things. So the way that I always explain this to people is like, think of your life as if it's a house. Confidence yeah. is like your beautiful front door, yeah. your lovely gallery wall, your trendy furniture, your gorgeous paintwork. And self-worth is the foundations that the house is built on. You can have all those lovely things. You can walk into someone's house and it looks beautiful, but it's actually fucking crumbling at the foundations a lot of codependent people are very confident and very charismatic and you would never think on the surface that they had low self-worth. Like, and I think this is probably similar. Like I was always that person. I was very confident. Nobody would ever have said that I was codependent because people think it's like being like a needy, like, oh, like little mousy girlfriend, like, oh. And yeah, okay. Sometimes that is people's codependent style for sure. But for a lot of us, it isn't. And it makes sense, right? Because if your whole thing is that you need everybody to love you, to feel secure in yourself, you're going to learn how to be confident and charismatic because that's fucking attractive. Like, we're quite often very confident, very charismatic people. And it is highly inappropriate to uh, distance diagnose people that I have never met but some of your favorite celebrities some of the most confident talented charismatic people like successful people that you could even think of are codependent as fuck in my opinion and I'm not going to tell you any of who they are are <laughs> they well okay if you apply and then obviously, like what we know about famous people's lives is only what gets reported in like gossip magazines and all the rest of it. We don't know the full truth, but there are a lot of reality TV shows out there. There's a lot of stuff posted on social media. I think we probably know a lot more about celebrity lives than we ever used to. Um, apply those patterns that I just talked about to anybody that you like. Um, you know, people who have repeated patterns of dysfunctional relationships, people who are chronically getting married and divorced, um, people who are staying with partners, even though they keep getting cheated on and humiliated in very public ways. 
um, people who just always seem to be like doing, doing, doing the most who are like, I hate to say it, but maybe constantly having like surgeries and aesthetic treatments, like where is that coming from? Is that because you're in a dysfunctional relationship with somebody that makes you feel like you have low self-worth and you need to get this next surgery or you need to look like this certain way, you need to be perfect. Maybe that will inspire them to love you or stick with you. Or at least if the whole rest of the world fancies you, you'll feel secure enough and you won't need this one person to love you. Like all of these things to me, like smack of codependency. I've never said this before, by the way, on a podcast. I this love that. I do right for me. My <laughs> first thought was not to go too much into the celeb thing. Was Chloe Kardashian probably? I, she, I feel like every Kardashian. I feel like every Kardashian probably has. I know. But... <laughs> um, when honestly, when you talk, I'm literally like, wow, she's describing my personality because <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, am I a give? I'm I overgive, and I also do this thing in relationships, and I do it in my current relationship is I try and fix, and mm-hmm. because of that thing, which is basically what you said, which was it's almost like micromanaging someone's life, yeah. But instead of being like, actually, we're two autonomous beings, it's his life and my life. And we're not at the stage where it needs to be what, like one, we're very separate. And I need to learn to just like step back. Well, and it should never be one. It should be three. His life, your life and your life together. together. Oh, that's a good way of thinking. Yeah. Do you know, as as you were listing all those um, kind of traits, I was sitting quite smug. Because I've definitely been codependent in the past, especially in my first serious relationship. Like I just couldn't cope. Um, I was at a stage, I, I feel like in, in, in hindsight, I was really manipulated by somebody um, much older who had accrued a lot more life experience. And I, I, I look back and that smacks me in the face of codependency. But I've worked over the years and I've worked on myself. And then you got to that point right at the end and it kind of like just like stabbed me in the stomach about the um the contrast between self-confidence and self and self-worth and the kind of the beautiful front door and you've got your planters at the front of the house and you've painted a you know your door a lovely faro and ball color but inside your roots are kind of shattered your foundations are are shattered Mm -hmm. and it's funny because with what I've been going through at home and the kind of the readjustment phase I project a very self-confident charismatic um exterior but there have there have been moments over the last couple of years especially the last couple of months where I feel like it is so unfairly reflective of the kind of the self-worth issue and it was actually a friend of mine like yourself extremely um articulate but also insightful as well and she said to me you know what Laura it's funny but everybody else sees this massively self-confident person and how you're speaking to me and the language that you're using and how you're describing things your self-worth is at an all-time low and I was like how the fuck does she know that how can she see into my soul and I feel like when you were describing that it hit the nail on the head with me um and a lot of your descriptors, actually, I feel like I I fall into those categories as well. And I'm just so interested to hear more from you about how to kind of overcome that and essentially where it comes from. Because you've mentioned self-worth a lot or lack of self-worth, mm. um, lack of self-worth. And how did you spot these traits in yourself how did you overcome them did you make a plan to overcome them was it a how was it for you your recovery I suppose okay so um my so this is um codependency quite often is close to addiction in some ways not always that's another thing that people get confused about because a lot of the older books around codependency talk about it as being like parallel to addiction, i.e. being in a relationship with someone who is um, like abuses substances, who's a drug or alcohol addict. That can be true, but it isn't actually true for most codependent people. 
another way that it can be close to addiction is that people who come out of um, homes where there were addicts can quite often be codependent. So that was the case for me. So I had an alcoholic parent and then a um, an emotionally um, distant parent. So, but on the surface, a very, very normal home, particularly for like the area that I'm from, very stable. Both parents always worked. They're still together. Um, there was always food on the table. The mortgage was always paid very, very sensible in a lot of ways, but actually there were some major unaddressed issues under the surface, which is what went on behind closed doors. So that's where my, that's the root of my codependency. The, how that played out for me was that I basically was in relationships from 13 to 30. And I think I might've been single for like, collectively a year over that 17 year period um and to be honest like most codependent people was never really single was never truly single there was always somebody on the back burner there was always a love interest there was always some flirtation or I was on a dating app or this is how old I am lols uh like a dating website um I met my ex-husband on match.com <laughs> um, <laughs> I went out with a lot of narcissistic people, a lot of emotionally unavailable and abusive people. Um, I did have two nice boyfriends along the way, and I split up with both of them because they were too nice. We could talk about that as well if you'd like at some point. Uh, if we get there, I'm sure there'll be lots of tangents. But um, yeah, basically, like many codependents, I found them boring because they were nice and they were stable and they were emotionally available. Um, literally could have married either of them and had a very happy life. And probably my codependency wouldn't have been as activated. But anyway, that was not my path. And I'm very grateful because I'm a super lovely boyfriend and he's a much better match for me. Um, but yeah, so it was, I got, the thing that kind of, the straw that broke the camel's back is that I got married. So I married someone who's narcissistic um, when I was 28. And then we, I think I was 30 by the time we officially divorced. We were only, we only like stayed together in that relationship for about 18 months. But we did, we'd also only been together for eight months when we got married. <laughs> um, and I think what changed, so I had been in probably worse relationships for longer but it was the fact that we got married. Um, I always say like nobody gets married because they want to get divorced. And I think being married was the thing that actually pushed me to go to a, a marriage counselor. Like I'd had different forms of therapy and stuff over the years. And honestly, it just hadn't been that helpful. Like nobody had ever gotten to the root of like my codependency. Nobody had ever questioned like what was going on in my relationships or identified that was in a, that was in dysfunctional and like emotionally abusive relationships and that kind of thing. I probably wasn't always telling the full truth either in those therapy sessions. So like this is not a diss on and like everybody has to find a match when it comes to therapy and counseling. Anyway, I went to this fucking incredible marriage counselor, thankfully on my own, because I wanted to go with my husband and he refused to go. He said, I will not go and don't tell me what he said in the sessions. Um, like he just was not interested. Um, he, he'd already been married and divorced before. So he'd already had like one, you know, I don't like to say this, but you know, like failed marriage, hadn't learned from that, obviously. Neither had I, by the way, because I'd seen the divorce papers and what was written on the divorce papers was exactly what I was experiencing in the marriage with him. Like, what a surprise. Anyway, yeah, I went to this um, marriage counsellor and she was incredible. Like within the first 10, I told her what was happening in the first 10 minutes. She was just like, you're with somebody, you're with a narcissist. Um, this is what's happening. She explained the whole thing to me. And I felt like it was kind of unprofessional of her, but like, really helpful at the same time because it just I wasn't able to receive it like I was I was shocked I was terrified I was paranoid I was like oh shit like does he know that I know now what do I do with this information um it probably took me another year to leave but I went down a rabbit hole of um researching narcissism and it was all like very focused on that and him and it being his fault to start with but I think that's how I found the link to codependency. 
And then I was like, oh shit, this is me. And I remember her saying to me, even in that first session, like, yeah, you're with somebody narcissistic, but what we need to work on is you because we need to work out what it is in you that's attracted this person or allowed and accepted this person into your life so that you don't do it again. And I was just like, no, you just told me he's a narcissist. It's his fault. I don't know what I, I could not compute how it could possibly be anything to do with me. Um, so yeah, anyway, kind of did my own research and like, yeah, had a very like stressful, tumultuous year trying to figure out what the fuck to do with this information. And we separated temporarily, went back to him again, temporarily, but in the time that we were separated, that's when I went to my first Codependence Anonymous meeting um, and just sitting in the room. So Codependence Anonymous is exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous, but for codependent people. Um, and it was an all women meeting and just sitting there was like listening to my life in the same way that Fisa's is like when I speak, she's like, oh, that's me just sitting in that room for the first time I was like okay yeah this is where I'm meant to be now I understand it I'd done like a lot of self-development work at that point a lot of therapy like worked on myself so much I think I was like so ready to receive that information and I was so ready to change it all just like went in so quickly um yeah and I've kind of figured out as well that I'd been working with codependent people I mean it's also not hard because I've always worked with women so my uh, unofficial non-professional <laughs> estimate is that about 50% of women are probably somewhere on the scale of codependency. Um, so working with women for as long as I have, I'm always going to come across codependent people. But I was looking, I was thinking back to all the clients that I'd had as a coach previously before I specialized in codependency. And we were talking about things like self-worth and boundaries and like, um, you know, self-care and kind of like self-preservation in a way, like not giving too much, reserving something for yourself, not taking care of a partner, all of these things. I was like, I've actually been working with codependent people all this time, but without really having a name for it. So anyway, so that's very You know what I find really interesting? Um, by your kind of rough estimation, you think about 50% of women are codependent. I think our listeners will be listening to this podcast and it's probably the first time they've ever heard mention of codependency. It's the first time that they've ever been given in insight into this thing that they feel something that they struggle with, but they've never been able to put a label on it. They've certainly never been able to deep dive into it the way that you're doing so well, because what, what you described there, um, it's so common. And I think a lot of us have felt that at varying points to varying degrees in our lives. I mean, you said about um, codependency anonymous. What a progressive place that you live, that there's even a thing, even a group that accommodates this. I think especially coming from Northern Ireland, Ireland in general, we're still a bit parochial. We're still a bit backwards. Um, and I think that this is just going to be such an eye-opening conversation for women to actually be able to, first of all, label what this thing is, to then be able to make a plan to, to work their way through it. So that is absolutely fantastic. That's been an eye-opener for me, even listening to you. Yeah, even that's what happened with when I met you, Joe. when you started speaking and you're li listing these things. And I was like, ah, oh, like literally it was like a light bulb came in. And then there's just one thing that I want to ask you before, because this was something that you mentioned earlier, which was that you've never been single, like quote unquote single fully. Mm -hmm. And if I look back on my dating history, neither have I really, apart from maybe a couple of weeks where I was like, I'm not, I think it was like two seasons ago or something. I think it was like our first season. I was like, I'm not going to speak to anyone on Tinder or whatever it was. I think I had like three weeks and then I was like back on it. And it was, I think it's because I like kind of what you've said to me in the past is I put a lot of my self-worth and validation on the feeling validated from someone else. And there was something that you said to me about codependent family fantasy I'm sorry if I'm not talking about it correctly but um that is exactly the phrase that I use <laughs> okay yeah so it was right okay so I um 
I do something, which is I'll meet someone and then I'll project this huge fantasy of mm. what I want that person to. It also, I often find that it happens with people that I've met on like have you know used to meet on like a dating app is I'd project this fantasy and then when they didn't live up to the fantasy it'd be a huge disappointment and and worse and that's why I would get so hurt if I was ghosted or that person turned around and said you know what I don't want to see you again and actually it's not their fault actually good for them for telling me but I felt personally like like it was a yeah, because you've already walked down the aisle with them oh totally yeah like, you know what your kids are going to be called you know where you're getting married like it, you've imagined your house so it, that you're going to live in together you've been on two dates at this point yeah. so you're completely devastated and yeah so this is that's a, like a common thing for codependent people to do is to like fantasize somebody into existence mm-hmm. um and what we quite often do rather than actually getting all the information that we need about a person to find out if they're actually a match for us is we just fill in the gaps for ourselves So they might tell us little details here and there about, you know, maybe they had a tough childhood, like quite honestly, a lot of people did more so than we want to recognize, um, which is why so many of us are traumatized and codependent and narcissistic (laughs) and fucking rest of it, all the other things that we're dealing with. Um, But instead of that, to me, if somebody tells me that it like if I'm dating them, it's kind of an amber flag. So this is not about like judging somebody for having had a tough childhood, for example. But I want to know, how did you have a tough childhood? How has it affected you? Have you had any therapy for it? Have you processed it? Because I don't want that leaking out into our fucking relationship. I need, so I need to know more information about that. Whereas when I'm codependent, that's me in recovery. If I'm in my codependency, what I'm going to do is be like, oh, like, oh, it's, you know, that's why he just acts out like that. Or that's why he disappears. Or that's why he's so angry. You know, he had a tough childhood and blah, blah, blah. And I fill in the gaps for that person and I make excuses for them and I make their bad behavior okay. Instead of getting the information and going, basing it, basing my feelings and my actions on reality, I base it on my own fantasy. And that's just like one small example. There are so many ways that we do that. And it's this desperation just to be with somebody. And so it doesn't matter who they are. They're just a canvas for our fantasy. We will make them the perfect person. Mm -hmm. And we even like start to change our own personality to mold and fit with them. We're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a girl that could go to classic car shows on the weekend or like, oh yeah, I could get into freeform jazz. And it's like, "Mm, (laughs) it's really not your personality. We very quickly start molding yourself and imagining yourself into this like fantasy life. Mm amazing we are going to be well over but I just could talk to you all day I'm just gonna um we do have a letter um which is actually from a friend of mine um I'd love to read it out and get your thoughts on it because there is a question I'll ask obviously after can tell us after but the word narcissist has been brought up quite a lot and I'd love you to explain once the letter has been read um what actually a narcissist is because I actually don't think people really know the term um Mm. so let me read out the letter and then we can discuss after I was with my boyfriend for seven years the first two years were the best it could be I thought I found my person but as the years went on I didn't know what world I was living in now that we're not together I look back and I realize that I was in a relationship with a narcissist he stripped me of who I was I distanced myself from all my friends I felt like I was unworthy of love and that all my friends were angry with me so I kept away for years after a while I stopped contacting my family as well as he made me feel like I wasn't good enough for them and it was only until I got out of it and I called my mum and she welcomed me back into the world um, with love and then I realised what he'd done to me being with what I think is a narcissist is a slow chip away of your self-esteem he would tell me things like you're being pathetic when I broke my wrist and was in pain or you would go for days without speaking to me and I didn't know what I had done wrong to the outside world he was this charming lovable person who had a lot of friends but to me he was someone else when we got home from a night out or a dinner he would change and show what I believe was his true self I finally got some balls and left him about eight months ago and I'm still a shell of my former self I'm slowly reconnecting with my my friends and family and not one of them hates me or thinks I'm unworthy and it made me realize how low I was over the past seven years what can I do to rebuild my life and recover from the trauma oh oh it's like 
I hearing that letter actually makes me feel a bit emotional like it's so the way that she's described this person I I would feel very happy in seconding that opinion that the person she was with is narcissistic Mm. yeah um could you just explain to us what 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 is it like a yeah what is a narcissist because I feel like the term is just thrown around um, so I think I think the awareness of narcissism um I think it actually happened because of Donald Trump he's a massive he's he's hugely narcissistic um and okay so I kind of need but because (laughs) (laughs) too much to say it's kind of become a touchy subject because because it's become thrown around so much but I think I think that was actually the trigger point is like basically the most famous most powerful person in the world was the most over narcissist a a lot of people in positions of power are narcissistic but um he was just just he is continues to be just so over there's no he can't hide it it just leaks out of him and I think that's what where the trigger point was in that in everybody using this term narcissist and narcissistic I think that overall it's a good thing because the I think overall it's a good thing because I think the more awareness we have of these traits and behaviors the better equipped we are to spot them and avoid them um some people are getting their knickers in a twist about the difference between a person who is narcissistic and a formal diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. So they are two different things. Somebody getting a formal diagnosis, which you need to get from a psychiatrist of narcissistic personality disorder is not what I'm talking about because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not qualified to do that. And I don't claim to be, but narcissistic and narcissism and saying somebody's got narcissistic traits or they're a narcissist these are that's a descriptive term in the same way that you can say someone is depressed or you can say you feel anxious and you don't have to have a diagnosis of clinical depression or generalized anxiety disorder to be able to say those things nobody's saying to you no I don't think you are anxious because your doctor hasn't diagnosed you right Mm. there's an amazing doctor actual doctor called Dr. Romani Devosela who specializes in narcissism um she's an amazing book called should I stay or should I go which helps people who are in quite serious narcissistic relationships figure out whether to stay or go and yeah she's just incredible she's Dr Romani on Instagram and she says that um narcissism and narcissist are descriptive terms they're not diagnoses nobody is diagnosing somebody if you use those terms just like if I say you seem depressed or it seems like you might be anxious I'm not diagnosing you. So just got to clear that up to start Mm. with. What a narcissistic person is. uh, Oh, also, it's very unlikely. It's it's very unlikely for somebody actually to get diagnosed with MPD, narcissistic personality disorder, because it goes, it fundamentally goes against everything it takes to be a narcissist to actually go and get that help. Usually people who get diagnosed, get diagnosed um, almost as a secondary measure maybe because they've committed a criminal act and they've been institutionalized and then they get the diagnosis almost out of force. No, right. There's no narcissist rocking up to their psychiatrist or a counselor or a therapist going, oh my God, I just keep emotionally abusing people and everybody keeps <laughs> me and I'm just such a bastard to everybody and I can't stop it. Why is that? That doesn't happen, yeah. right? Because narcissistic people can't admit that they're doing anything wrong. So a narcissistic person is somebody who doesn't feel empathy. It actually comes from the same root as codependency. So it's a fundamental lack of self-worth. And what happens is there's some kind of trauma in early years. They shove down the sense of shame that they feel around that trauma, whatever it was. And the thing is, if you shove down your shame and you never feel you never, you're never allowed to feel or process that shame either because you haven't been able to facilitate it for yourself when you get older or because you didn't have anyone to facilitate it for you as a child. You also can't feel empathy. If you can't feel the darkest, hardest human feelings there are, you also can't feel love, kindness, empathy, compassion. And so that leaves you actually feeling very hollow. And so you have to 
suck that out of other people. You have to extract it from other people. You have to extract love and good feeling. And so that's what narcissism is. It's a fundamental lack of empathy. And some people talk about them being like energy vampires. I would say they're more like, and they are energy vampires, but I would say they're kind of also emotion vampires because they can't feel their own emotions. So they have to extract it from other people. So that's what a narcissist is. Okay, let's get to the question. Mm. Um, I really, really feel for this person. Seven years with a narcissist is, fuck. Like, I'm not surprised that she feels like a shell of her former self. Mm. So there are a couple of things that she can do. The first thing I want to recommend, um, there's this book called Sweet Relief from the Everyday Narcissist. It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite books around narcissism. That and the the book I recommended from um, Dr. Romani DeVosler as well. Should I stay or should I go? But Sweet Relief from the Everyday Narcissist is so good. Um, It lays out like the traits, the patterns, the behaviors. When you've been with somebody like that, it's really good to get into something that like validates your experience because narcissistic people gaslight you and make you feel crazy and invalidate you and minimize your experience. So if you can read a book or speak to some more people, find some information online, find a community of people who are talking about these common experiences, it's going to be really, really helpful for you because it's going to ground you in your experience and it's going to help you. You need to shift your perception on and your perspective on your relationship. And I think that what she might find as well is that those first two years were not as good as she thought they were. They were just better than the following five years. But as if and when she gets into a healthy relationship at some point in the future, I think she'll look back and be like, actually those two years weren't great probably the first three to six months when he was love bombing her will be the good ones Mm. and then she'll be like actually then most narcissistic people can't keep up the mask beyond three to six months I would be very surprised if the first two years were as good as she thought so Mm. I think just shifting your perspective and the thing is like even with abusive people we can still have some good experiences and there may still have been some good times in there and I think it's getting, it's grounding yourself into the reality of your experience. So knowing that, yes, I was with this abusive pe- person, but there were also some good times, but they were probably good because she made them good. So mm. acknowledging and understanding and owning that and taking a- as well, like you're a fucking incredible person, well done for surviving this thing, getting out of it, the self-awareness, this healing journey that you're now on, like, you deserve everything and I just want to like congratulate you for this, for, for managing to do this. No one can take away your good experiences. So it's not like you have to just like tar that whole seven years as like shit and write it off. Both things can be true, right? I was with somebody who was abusive and manipulative. Same with me. I was with someone who was abusive and manipulative. I was married to them. We went to Thailand for two weeks for my 30th birthday there was a point where I was on the floor crying in the corner of the hotel room, but there are also some fucking fantastic memories and no one can take those good things away from me. And I will always enjoy that. And I like, some of that time was magical and that's mine. And I own that my wedding day, fucking magical. Not because I married him because I had an amazing party that I organized with all my friends and family around. So just as an example. Right. And then secondly, like, be really, really gentle with yourself. Give yourself time to heal. I would suggest not dating, not trying to get into another relationship just yet. And then the third thing is building up your self-worth, which is a very practical process. You need to clear out as much space in your life as possible. Physical space, emotional space, energetic space, anything or anyone who's not working for you, clear it out. Honor yourself. Get really clear on everything that you want from your life. Be like very, very detailed and start getting very strict with what does and doesn't work for you. That's how you start to build up your level of self-worth. You know, if you need a change of career, if you need a shake up in that area, do it. If there are some friends that are actually pretty fucking useless and drainers, get them out of your life. If you've got like a spare room or a wardrobe or a garage full of shit that you need to clear out, 
clear it out like make your life as incredible as possible and like make that your focus and you'll start to feel yourself coming back and then the fourth thing I want to share is outside of like that kind of boring thing of like basically get your life in order because codependency loves chaos recovery loves routine right some amazing like self-care routine in place um is play an experiment is there a hobby that you've always wanted to try? Is there something that you loved before you were with the narcissist that you want to go back to? Mm. Is there like, you know, do you want to travel? Like, is there food that you want to sample? Is there a skill you want to learn? Like start to become a really full person, play and experiment and discover who you are because she's exactly right in saying that she doesn't know who she is like that is what they do they like suck your personality out of you they bleed you dry and if she hadn't split up with him at some point he would have discarded her because once you're dead and like dry of energy and emotion and you have nothing left to give they don't want you anymore and they just move on to somebody else like you never existed Mm. so also mad props for getting to that before he did but go and discover who you are try stuff out play experiment do kind of scary things and when I say scary things obviously be safe but like (laughs) you know like travel go to dinner on your own just with a book like Mm. I went I started going on nights out on my own last year like I feel safe in the place that I live and I would like just sober go to nights out on my own because I didn't have any pals that wanted to go and listen to that same kind of music I'm like but I fucking love it so I'm just going to drive to my city go there dance for like two or three hours because that's what I do that's what I want to do and come home like I had the best fucking time like do stuff like that for yourself okay that's a very long answer again (laughs) I love I love that and I think that um thank you also for clearing up the narcissist thing because I do think that it is a term and I also feel like that what the what's been described I think will resonate with so many people because I think that it's the same obviously with narcissism it's it's the same pattern of things that happen and like Mm -hmm. you said they love bomb and then they take it away and then they can't clear it they can't they can't keep up the facade basically and um I think that it's such an interesting one to talk about because I think it happens to so many people like it is I think it's I think I know I mean this is you know one person but I know several friends that have been in narcissistic relationships and it is and I think the distancing from friends and family is such a like it's such a thing I think because they obviously feel Mm. that lack of no one's gonna love them which is just which is awful and God forbid anyone gets into a relationship. And I just wanted to ask one question before we move on with a, do you often find that people that have been in narcissistic relationships stay with them? Because she said seven years and my friends that I know of who have been in narcissistic relationships, five years, two years, like long periods of time. And yeah, and find that's a, that's a thing as well. It's not like a three month thing and then bye. Yeah, because if that if it was a three month thing and bye, that means you have good self worth. Yeah, of course. If the mask slips, you'd be like, "Fuck yeah. myself." Yeah, I'll see you later. But it, this that is also how abuse works, mm. right? Abuse wouldn't work if we all got out of those situations when we spotted it. Yeah. it it's insidious. It is the whole thing of you know, like the frog boiling in water it's they chip away at you and some people some of them are more extreme but you it's like it's all a sliding scale right codependency is a sliding scale narcissism is a sliding scale and self-worth is a sliding scale you could be codependent but like less codependent and so if you're with somebody who's a very extreme narcissist you might not get with them but you get into a relationship with somebody else who's slightly less narcissistic and it's kind of a slower burn with them Mm. And you end up staying with them for longer. The other thing that quite often happens is people might be with someone who's quite extremely, like they their mask slips after like two weeks and they're like very nasty or like very verbally abusive, like very quickly. And you're like, oof, yeah, there's something about this is which is clearly wrong. And then what you do is get into a comparatively much less toxic or dysfunctional relationship and stay in that for ages mm. because you've, you've seen, and, and I've heard women say this, at least he doesn't hit me. Wow. That's, like, that's the bar. The bar is in hell mm. and we're not even fucking tripping over it. Yeah. Like it's so like, I've literally heard women say like, 
and not even that they're in emotionally abusive relationships maybe just that they're in emotionally unfulfilling and empty relationships and it's like oh well at least he's at least he doesn't like beat me up or anything and you know like picks the kids up and stuff and I'm like okay cool like that's that's our level like Mm. that's what we're shooting for but yes you know that's how abuse works it chips away at you bit by bit by bit you know that abusive behavior gets more and more normalized you get isolated from other people your world becomes much smaller all the time your self-worth is being chipped away Mm. at and it's you can't see the nose on the end of your face Mm. Never yeah. mind about what's actually happening in your relationship. So yeah, it's, it's quite common to stay in these situations for a very long time. Can I ask one more question before, oh my God, we're going so over time, but I just can't stop talking to you. Um, can I ask one more question and then we'll move on to our last yeah, section. I know someone that I believe is in a narcissistic relationship and there are times where uh, the person will say a comment and we're all a bit like, ooh, and it's been over the years, but obviously there's been, no one's mentioned anything. And like, no one says, and I'm trying to be really sensitive. No one said anything, no one's mentioned anything. But I I know that it's not right. Like what is what is being said and the things are being said, like it's really weird when that person says that thing. Um, is there somewhat thought, like as a friend or you know, person that knows that person, is are there times where people could be either because I sometimes think oh maybe it's a cry for help but is it or she doesn't know she's so in it that she doesn't act, she thinks it's normalized so when is she is the the person that's in the relationship that's your friend is is she telling you things that feel like they're not right about the relationship and you feel like she's telling you them because she you maybe think that she knows on some level it's not right yeah I I think so it's almost said in jest but it's not it it's like yeah then jarring it's jarring but said in jest yeah she's saying it in jest then she knows it's an outlet for the pain is there is there something that you can do because it's one of those things where it's like how far could you go um, this is also not someone I know like hugely well. Is where is there a boundary? You don't want to obviously cross a boundary, but is there? It, would you say that you'd recommend actually cross the boundary, get that person to open up, or would you say that um, you've got to work out on their own? I think it's I think it's hard because you you don't want to alienate the person because uh, people. It's so weird. Like people understand dog behavior way more than they understand human behavior like if you say to somebody like don't please don't come near my dog they've been abused so they're reactive Mm. they get it if somebody sees an abusive dog that doesn't want to leave its owner they get it like they're bonded to this person they're like the dog will come to learn hopefully if it's rescued in time that it doesn't have to get beaten in exchange for food but that's all it knows right now. And so it will stick around because it has loyalty to this person. And that's exactly how abusive behavior works in humans as well. Although they, this person may have an inkling at some level of awareness, and I think she probably does if she's saying it, particularly in front of people that she doesn't know very well, what she's looking for is she's, look, she's looking to be soothed for the fact that she's being abused or she's looking to be validated for the abusive behavior. So she's hoping that either somebody will say, oh yeah, my boyfriend's a dick too. He does stuff like that. Like I roll men, right? And that's quite often how we normalize behavior in straight relationships. This like more so in straight relationships. This can happen in any relationship. It's not gendered, by the way. It's nothing to do with, um, it's much more common, I would say, in heterosexual relationships because of the gender binary. But narcissism and codependency can show up whatever your gender identity or um sexuality is so but like quite often in like hetero relationships that's how it gets normalized is we speak to our female friends and they're having very similar relationships very similar situations like i remember people saying to me oh you have to pick your battles Mm. like you're with a straight man basically like you have to pick your battles and it's like (laughs) when this is when I'm in a relationship with a narcissist right so I think that's what she's looking for it's either validation that she's not alone and what she's going through is actually normal and it's not that bad so that she can stay Mm. 
or she's looking to be soothed because she gets no soothing in the relationship. So there is some level of awareness there, but there's also loyalty to the relationship because if there wasn't loyalty to the relationship, it wouldn't be said in jest. She'd be like, this isn't right, but I don't know how to get out. Or like, I've had people say to me, like, they've told me like really bad shit about their relationships and said like, I hate him hate him and I want to get out so their level of awareness that but they're still not leaving by the way but their level of awareness is really high so with somebody like that you have to be really careful not to not to alienate them or push them away because ultimately at this stage their loyalty is still very much to the relationship Mm. um what can be really helpful is like sending them stuff like my podcast or this podcast Mm. or recommending something on an Instagram account which maybe isn't all about narcissism and codependency but it has some content on there or like you know drop it in the group chat and be like oh my god I saw this meme this is so me you know relate it to yourself and let them basically like open the door let them find the way in that can be a helpful way to do it I think unless you're like really close to a person and you feel like you can say, look, I'm actually worried about you. And I think this is what's happening in your relationship. And I understand that you might not be able to hear it and this might upset you and that's okay. However, you need to respond to that. That's fine. I'll be here for you regardless. Like that's a very direct way that you could do it mm. if you're very close yeah. to somebody. But if it's somebody with a, where there's a bit of distance, I think like showing them some kind of some th- third party content where they can mm. find their way in for themselves can be really helpful that is so great amazing thank you so much joe we're going to move on to our favorite segment elkachor recommends elkachor is the female founded female run activewear brand that sponsors love bites we have a code love bites 20 for 20 percent off there is free global shipping taxes and duties are covered by alcatraz there's also a four hour delivery in dubai and there are two boutiques one on our wassel road and one on the beach jbr um thank you so much to everyone that also came to our yoga session um we will definitely be doing more um over the months so joe tell us what have you been consuming that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Oof. Okay. So I've got a few different mediums. Is that okay? You can, rec- yeah. I've also written down, I might have to get you to spell check them, the two books that you recommended because I'm going to put them in our show notes. But yeah, you can, any medium is fine. Okay. Awesome. So um, a book that I've recently listened to, because I love audiobooks. Mm, Nobody told me that's cheating. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love them. We're a big fan. Um is Stolen Focus by uh, Johan Hari. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, So that is all about how we are losing our ability to focus in the modern age. Um, As somebody who is trying to tackle my own smartphone addiction currently, that is like, as a codependent person, I have like some co-addictions. The smartphone is like the, I would say the last and the most insidious one for me. So I'm trying to tackle that. The book is not all about smartphone use. It's about all the different ways that our focus is being attacked in the modern world. And it is so insightful and so brilliant. So highly recommend that. Um, Along those lines, I also really like the podcast Offline with John Favreau. So um, he's from Crooked Media. They're an American politics podcasting company. Um, I've been obsessed with all their politics podcasts for like the last six years. Know more about American politics than I do about British politics because of that. (laughs) But he has a new podcast called Offline, which is all about all the ways that the internet is breaking our brains, like some of the ways that it's good, but a lot of the ways that it's kind of bad for us. And he talks to lots of experts on how to like manage our use around it and that kind of thing. So that's kind of like two more serious things. And something that I have been loving on TV is Hacks. I don't know if anybody's seen that. It's on HBO. How do you spell it? Um, H-A-C-K-S. Oh, Hacks. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's about um, two comedians, uh, female comedians of uh, differing generations, and they kind of collide together and have to find a way. And it is hilarious and insightful as well, as it always is going to be when there's two female leads. 
Meg Stalter is also in it, who's a fucking hilarious comedian. It's brilliant. It's so much fun. I love that. Laura, tell us what you have been consuming, please. You know what? I'm going to go a little bit lighter this week. And I want to tell you the the kind of TV show that I can watch on repeat. And whenever I need a pick-me-up, I always go to Derry Girls. I love um, Derry Girls. Derry Girls is so good. Do you, Have you both watched Derry Girls? Yes. I have, yeah. You're like Michelle. Well, do you know what? I actually think that I'm a little bit of I'm a little bit of them all, right? Because at school I was a mouthy bitch, but I was also like a little geek as well at the same time. So I'm a bit like Jenny Joyce in some ways too. But for me, Derry Girls is it shows Irish, Northern Irish life in a really positive, real way because the thing is that's how I grew up I grew up in a home um I I basically was raised in my grannies and my grandparents which a lot of us were when our parents worked and our grandparents looked after us in a very working class um Catholic upbringing and it paints it in a really wholesome, loving way um, because there was troubles for many years. There still is to a certain extent, but I just think it shines a really good light on life in Northern Ireland. And it is my go-to. I think if anybody hasn't watched it, you don't have to be Irish to enjoy Dairy Girls. A friend, uh, Joe, we have a friend of ours, um, a mutual friend, um, Sonny in Dubai. He is of Indian descent, but born and raised in Thailand. And he loves Dairy Girls more than anybody else. And I was like, how can you understand the humor? How I, I sometimes can't wrap my head around how non-Irish people enjoy it. But I think fundamentally, if you're of a certain age, you look back at that show with such nostalgia and warmth in your heart. So for me, Dairy Girls, every single day of the week we've now wrapped up season three so you can find all of those seasons on the channel four catch up and um, alternatively you can find it on netflix you can only find season one and season two but still that's going to give you a brilliant insight amazing well my recommendation actually is quite in relation to joe what you were saying my uh, recommendation is why social media is ruining your life by Catherine Ormerod. It is such a good book, and it is so funny when you said about the smartphone addiction and the like. The, I am massively addicted to scrolling on my phone whilst I'm watching TV, and like I have to. I've also noticed something about myself recently. I am like fearful of starting something new. I don't know what it is. I feel like if I'm on my own, I'll just rewatch Downton Abbey a thousand times. I'll, I'll because because I can scroll and watch it and I don't have to concentrate and why social media is ruining your life is so good it basically goes through like um Instagram Twitter Facebook it's 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 a really good book for someone if you're looking to maybe cut back on the social media um I definitely consume social media far far too much but for no sometimes I'm like refreshing Instagram over and over again and I'm just like what am I even looking for I have no idea and um and it doesn't, my friend, our other friend, um, Joe said that she, she was on our podcast. She's a trainer. She consumes a lot of self-help, uh, like self-development stuff on Instagram. That's basically what she consumes. And sometimes she gets to the point where she's, she's constantly like self-developing. And I constantly, um, looking at self-care stuff to the point where I'm spending all my money on beauty products that I, I will scroll and scroll and scroll. So it's a really good one to, to have a read of. So please do read why social media is ruining your life. If you are like me, like an Instagram addict. And then to round off this very amazing episode, we have a recommendation from our sponsor, El Couture. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. How do you say it, Laura? Ikigai. Ikigai by Hector Garcia. Um, it is a book about the Japanese belief that everyone has an ikigai. It's the reason to basically get out of bed in the morning. Um, and according to residents of a Japanese island, the world's longest living people, it's finding the key to a longer and more fulfilled life. So I think that that's a really interesting one um, to have a read of. That sounds like a nice like beach book, I assume. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Uh, where can people find you? 
Um, so uh, because I am addicted to my phone, uh, I'm <laughs> quite often hanging out on Instagram. So you can find me at Joe Westwood on Instagram. Um, my website is joewestwood.com. And um, you can also check out my podcast, the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Yes, I love that podcast. So honestly, sometimes it's just so helpful just to listen. Because Joe, you are a joy to listen to. I now kind of feel like I got that first rush that Fiona experienced or the first mm. time that she spoke with you because after that podcast she was like oh my god this girl joe 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 and was obsessed with you and now i see why because i am honestly enchanted by everything you've said you're so informative you're so fucking relatable as well and i love that you've done that you kind of speak from a place of experience as opposed to judgment which we love here and you've just been a joy oh thank you so much it's been so much fun talking to you both Thank you so much. And Joe, just before uh, we finish, if someone wanted to uh, be coached by you, could they just drop you a message on Instagram and uh, have a chat with you? Yes, for sure. Okay. So you can DM me on Instagram or you can go to the uh, link in bio, babies. Right. Um, you can book a complimentary consultation with me there and you can check out my membership group, Wildly Worthy, as well. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Joe. We love you. Love Thank you. you. See you later.